welcome to the Urban Christian Woman podcast, where we seek to restore women with God's truth for their everyday lives. I'm Tashika Oliver. And I'm Leah Ross, and we're your hosts. This season, we've got some exciting things in store. So join us as we study God's word, celebrate women living faithfully on mission, and dive into cultural issues through a biblical lens. You ready, Tashiva? Girl, yeah, I'm ready. All right, let's, let's go. go. Welcome back to the Urban Christian Woman podcast. We are in the throes of the Shiro series, and mm-hmm. it has been good. It has been good. Um, today, we are talking about Tamar, the woman mm-hmm. of exploitation and abuse. And give us some framing, Toshiba, on where we're at with Shiro's, why these Shiro's, why Tamar today? Yeah. We chose um, Tamar for a couple of reasons. If you have been following along with us in the series, this She Rose of the Face series is really marked with lesser known women in scripture and not only lesser known women in scripture, but how they correlate to women who are in the urban context. And so Uh um, we find ourselves uh, really uh, focused on Tamar today because she is the woman of exploitation and abuse. And um, we know that exploitation and abuse can happen any in any context, but particularly in places of marginalization, um, particularly in places where it is a city, there is a lot of exploitation and abuse that can happen because of those who are on the margins. Um, mm-hmm. And so... Um, there's a lot around that poverty. There's a lot around advocacy around these things. There's a lot of research that talks about that. And so we thought that it would be befitting for us to really highlight Tamar today um, because if you have been exploited or you have experienced some form of abuse, we want you to know that God is fully aware that that can happen to his image bearer. And we can learn through this narrative how he responds to Mm -hmm. women who have been exploited or abused. Mm-hmm. So we're going to read, yeah. um, we find uh, the narrative of Tamar and what transpires with her exploitation and abuse in Genesis 38. So if you have your Bible, open your Bible. Um, I'm going to read and I'm reading from the Open CSB. your Bibles. Open your Bible. And we just, what what we know, brace yourselves, ladies, because this narrative is messy. It's just chaos. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, just let's just be prepared for that and know that God is going to show up in it. So go ahead, Toshiba. Yes, Genesis 38. At that time, Judah left his brothers and settled near an Adulamite named Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a Canaanite named Shua. He took her as a wife and slept with her. She conceived and gave birth to a son and he named him Ur. She conceived again, gave birth to a son and named him Onan. She gave birth to another son and named him Shelah. It was at Chesub that she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Now Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the Lord's sight, and the Lord put him to death. 
Then Judah said to Onan, sleep with your brother's wife, perform your duty as her brother-in-law and produce offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he released his semen on the ground so that he would not produce offspring for his brother. What he did was evil in the Lord's sight. So he put him to death also. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought he might die too like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had finished mourning, he and his friend Hira, the Adulamite, went up to Timnah to his sheep shears. Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's clothes, veiled her face, covered herself, and sat at the entrance to Anam, which is on the way to Timnah. For she saw that though Sheila had grown up, she had not been given to him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He went over to her and said, come, let me sleep with you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me for sleeping with me? I will send you a young goat from my flock, he replied. But she said, only if you leave something with me until you send it. What should I give you, he asked. She answered, your signet ring, your cord, and the staff in your hand. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. She got up and left, then removed her veil and put her widow's clothes back on. Mm. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, in order to get back the items he had left with the woman, he could not find her. He asked the men of the place, where's the cult prostitute who was beside the road at Anam? There has been no cult prostitute here, they answered. So the Adulamite returned to Judah saying, I couldn't find her. And besides, the men of the place said, there has been no cult prostitute here. Judah replied, let her keep the items for herself. Otherwise, we will become a laughing stock. After all, I did send this young goat, but you couldn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has been acting like a prostitute and now she is pregnant. Bring her out, Judah said, and let her be burnt to death. As she was being brought out, she sent her father-in-law this message. I am pregnant by the man to whom these items belong. And she added, examine them. Whose signet ring, cord, and staff are these? Judah recognized them and said, she is more in the right than I, since I did not give her to my son, Sheila, and he did not know her intimately again. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twins in her womb. As she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand and the midwife took it and tied a scarlet thread around it, announcing, this one came out first. But then he pulled his hand back. Out came his brother. And she said, what a breakout you have made for yourself. So he was named Perez. 
Then his brother, who had the scarlet thread tied to his hand, came out, and his name was Zera. This is the word of the Lord, honey. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, we, Y'all, this ooh, narrative we. is thick. And before, mm-hmm. it, when I'm saying thick, okay, all the all the urban individuals are like, it's real. Mm-hmm. Thick means real mm-hmm. if you don't know. Mm-hmm. So this narrative is thick. <laughs> uh, and so if you do have little ears around you, you either A, need to put in some headphones or B, probably listen at a later time. So I will say that. Oh, Leah. Yeah. Give... Mm-hmm. The narrative. This narrative is just straight chaos after chaos. There's so much brokenness. But yeah, talk about this. Yeah, which is yeah. I mean, okay, so it's it's a ton of brokenness. And I think one thing we need to really understand and set our minds right about right now is that that is the nature of narratives in scripture. Okay, Mm -hmm. and this is why we is reliable for us to look and say, no, the Bible is not just instructions for holy living like it's also descriptions of broken living okay yeah it's descriptions real life descriptions for real and we see both um how those complex dynamics work out and we see the consequences of brokenness as well yeah so Um, if you're thinking about meta narrative of scripture this is just Mm -hmm. straight in the fall this would be this section of the fall okay just there's there's no redemption after fall after fall it's fall after Ooh-wee. fall after fall. Yeah. And fall yeah. brings implications of brokenness mm-hmm. and sin. Mm-hmm. So yeah. walk yeah. us through the narrative, so, girl. You know, we're, yeah, we got Judah who left his brothers. He's one of the um, 12 brothers and settled in this um, land near an Adulamite friend of his. Um, and then he had three sons, right? And the first married Tamar. So Tamar now comes on the scene. But this husband, he was even on the side of the Lord. So God puts him to death. And then um, this, as the Hebrew tradition is, what was supposed to happen is the second brother would take that woman as his wife and produce an heir in his brother's name, right? So that's the whole idea of a kinsman redeemer, which we see in Ruth as well. But he, in his selfishness, chose to violate the Lord's law, rob Tamar of an heir, and do what he did in that space, okay? Um, and Judah at this dropping point, all the he's things. looking like dropping all the things. Right? <laughs> Judah, Judah is looking like okay, probably thinking there's something wrong with Tamar because now two of my sons have been put to death in relationship to her. Not even thinking yeah. maybe it's them, right? Yeah. He says like, it's her, almost like she's so he, cursed, almost. You know, right. Right. Yeah. Any, any, this much death surrounding her. So he basically sends her away and he makes this distant promise for his third son um, after he grows up. But at the point of him growing up, he was still not given to Tamar. And basically Judah put, I, you know, when we read it, it's like, he basically put her out of his mind. And at this point, she sees that there is no recourse for her. Uh, justice has been delayed. Um, and not only that, but they have violated her for, by not caring for her. Judah has. As and so widow. what she does is she, mm-hmm, as a widow, right? So she's she views this opportunity to take 
the matter toward a movement towards justice. She knows the justice of God and what she is rightfully owed in relationship with the family and spouse and um, her father-in-law. And yet she knows that he has neglected her. Um, And so she positions herself in this path and disguised herself so that Judah would sleep with her. She becomes pregnant. And then, of course, after Judah has neglected her this whole time, he's like, he hears word about this rumor that she was scandalous. Now he wants to bring her on the scene. He had not brought her on the scene the whole time. And now he wants to bring her on the scene purely for the purpose of judgment. And yet it is brought to his attention that um, he was the one who was unrighteous in that circumstance by revealing, by Tamar revealing his identification, right? This signet ring, staff cord, um, it's all, it's like, yo, your wallet, your keys, your ID. Yeah. This is an identification. You are the one. And how does Judah respond? He's cut to the heart. He says, she is more right than I, since I did not give her to my son, Sheila. So he recognizes, he's convicted of this abuse and this delaying of justice. And he's cut to the heart of that and is ultimately confessing and repenting and does right by her. Yeah. And at that point. So I guess you could say there is redemption coming in yeah, a little there, bit here at the end. Mm-hmm. There is a little bit of redemption at the end. And I also um, think about the fact that Tamar, um, in verse 25, she actually does not put Judah on blast. If you look at this, she, she sends presents a an opportunity. Yep. She said yep. she she does not You're expose right. his sin in the community, mm-hmm. right? Um, but she brings a message mm-hmm. to him. And so mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. I think that there is, you know, the acknowledgement mm-hmm. you sort of leaning into that redemption there. I think that that is a point of redemption, even in the midst of what is chaos and sin. You know, well, like, and how gracious to to present an opportunity for redemption, yeah, to not seek vengeance, but she's just like, like I'm still pursuing justice. Like I'm still, pursuing I was justice. pursuing justice when I sat there in the uh, on the road. I'm pursuing justice now as I present you with these things and give you an opportunity to confess and walk in the light about whose whose stuff this is. Yeah, and restore what the Lord has charged you to to give to me as provision. Yeah, and I think that that's what stands out in the narrative, you know, when we move forward into this conversation is that Tamar is incredibly vulnerable and she has zero Mm -hmm. social recourse against injustices against her as a woman. Which I feel like is now at this point a common theme of all all these sheroes. They don't, they, they have very few, very few opportunities for social recourse. That's just women at the time. Go yes, ahead. yes. And, and I think that that has to be said contextually so that people can understand yeah. is that women were not seen as um, equal in dignity, equal in dignity. Mm-hmm. They were actually um, second class citizens, if for a lack of a better term, <laughs> you know. And so she was mm-hmm. incredibly vulnerable. She was open. She was open to um, being not only taken advantage of sexually, but also like 
not having the ability to have protection for security of a way of living and life. She was not mm-hmm. supposed to go back to her father's house because when you are mm-hmm. covenanted to a family, you are covenanted to that family, just like the what household. you said, the household. Right. And uh, the then the narrative flows out into you be, you participating in the process of having another kinsman redeemer. And so this is what we can sort of see through the narrative that stands out as well, is that everything has been out of order because when evil is being done in the sight of the Lord, you are just out of order. And so this narrative is about abuse of power because when you are out of order and you are taking power into your own hands and not submitted to the power of the one who has made all things, who has created Mm -hmm. all things, who has uh, all things are held under his authority. When you don't do that, then you are abusing the power that has been even orchestrated or given to you as an image Mm -hmm. bearer through the cultural mandate. And so that's what we see. This is an abuse of power and it stands out in the narrative. And then lastly, we also see that God is using an outsider from Israel to shed the light on injustice and pursue Mm -hmm. God's justice. And I mean, this is sort of... I mean, it's it's not uncommon at this point. I think that we've had some other narratives that have extracted this very thing. Yeah, is this is consistently God's MO of using that outsider the to outsider. shed light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because his desire is for all people to know him, to love him, and to follow mm-hmm. him as and Savior not, and Lord. And not only that, but also even just to um, circle back to what you said, at this point in history, Dignity is not given to women by other men, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But who is constantly affirming the dignity that he has created women with? That's the Lord. So just to really Mm, clarify, like God has never stopped affirming the dignity that he created in women. And a lot of times that shows up in these narratives by him elevating a woman from the outside or from the margin to be the bringer of redemption in the situation. He's Mm. like, y'all are not going to recognize it, but I'm going to affirm it by using this one to really orchestrate my justice and my righteousness. Amen. That is, that is right on point. That's right on point. So Leah, talk to us about just the interpretation of this text. How does God use Tamar's life to his grand narrative? Like, what do we, what can we uh, see as meaning from this narrative? Right, right. Well, I think like we jumped in right away that um, these narratives are messy. And this one particularly that focuses on a woman of exploitation and abuse is an affirmation to women who experience exploitation or abuse that God sees you in his story, Mm -hmm. right? Because Tamar is a widow and God cares for widows. He uses widows often, as we just said, from the outside to bring redemption and righteousness. Yes. Tamar is an outsider. God cares for the outsider and God uses the outsider. Tamar is also vulnerable. God cares for the vulnerable. God uses the vulnerable 
in society to often move his plans and purposes forward. And so when we think about the type of person that God desires to use, it's the weak, the outsider, the vulnerable. So often he brings those people into the center of the narrative to enact his purposes. So this is like what's happening right here with Tamar. And I think that she has to have an incredible confidence in the Lord to be moving according to those, the way that she moved, right? To be like, this is because it could, the wheels could have fallen off. I mean, halfway through, she is being brought out to be uh, burned to death, right? So the wheels could have fallen off. Yeah. Yeah, burned to death. Yeah. If if it was anything other than in God's hands, right? Yeah. But yeah. because she was moving confidently and purposefully in towards the justice of God, understanding the heart of God and his his intentions and purposes, she's able to move there confidently. And God does not fail. Right. Yes. He does not fail. He does not fail. And I love Leah that you are really um elevating this point that God cares for widows, God cares for the outsider, God cares for the vulnerable. And one of the reasons why I really am appreciative of you highlighting this is God is also using those because we see in James that, what does he say? Pure and undefiled religion is caring for the orphans and the widows in their time of need. Those are the most vulnerable And when we look at these individuals, it also is illuminating the heart that God desires for the believer. And this is why I think one of my greatest delights and joys, Leah, is to be around Mm -hmm. the widows to Mm -hmm. and have a desire for it. I do. I do. Mm -hmm. You know, like I am. I'm getting older and I'm still sort of young. I'm in that middle space. But to be able to be around older women, to be around Mm -hmm. widows, to be around the outsider, um, to be around those who are vulnerable, because it actually is giving me a clear picture of the heart that God is really drawn to as well, a dependent heart. When mm. we look at, we we see Tamar. Tamar is like, Lord, I'm dependent upon you for your justice. That's I am right. vulnerable. That's right. I am a widow. Mm-hmm. I am. I, I'm dependent. Mm-hmm. I'm dependent on you for your justice for provision. I'm dependent upon you for your mm-hmm. justice for protection. I am dependent upon you for justice for care. You know, and so we can yeah. see those those clear attributes and characteristics and we can make it we can we can take that in and say the reason why God cares for all of these is because God wants us to have those characteristics as believers in our yes. lives and they mm-hmm. teach us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. why and how God works in our lives and how we should be living a life that is under his rule and authority and so That's right. I That's really right. appreciate you like leveraging and elevating uh, who mm-hmm. Tamar was in this narrative. Because of that, we see these communicable attributes um, of uh, displayed in this narrative of a justice and a lack of justice, right? Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. Tamar who is pursuing pursuing the justice of God And she is also the one who is experiencing this deep lack of justice 
in her life, in her life in real time. And so um, we can see that God is using her to enact justice, even in the midst of her lack of justice, um, to, to reflect his very nature in that. Ladies, if you're enjoying the ministry and content of The Urban Christian Woman, would you take a minute to write a review and give us a rating on iTunes? Our goal is to get truth into the hands of urban women. You can help us by leaving even a one-sentence review and some stars. This simple act will help increase our visibility for more women to find this podcast and resources to help equip them in their everyday lives. So girl, what you waiting for? Just go ahead and do it right now. And if you haven't yet, join our community on social media. You can find us on Instagram at The Urban Christian Woman, Facebook, The Urban Christian Woman, and on our website, which is theurbanchristianwoman.com. Leah, what is justice? I feel like we keep saying the word justice, but what is justice in plain language? Woo! Justice in plain language. So plain theology for plain people. Give it to us. Plain theology for plain people. Um, My husband actually said this uh, several months ago when he was preaching. He said that justice is everyone as we should be and everything as it should be. And that's the definition of justice. Everyone as, as we should be and everything as it should be. And that is because because that's so expansive, it hits, right? But it is so expansive because justice can look like people living in shalom harmony where you have what you need and I have what I need and we're at peace with one another and there's no striving. That's justice, right? And Mm -hmm. we see that in social spaces when we talk about the abuse of power by police or by the government. Yes, um, we see that in in places of just interpersonal relationships, things mm-hmm. like sexual abuse or or domestic violence. We see that um, we see that in systems, like in the environment, yes. right? A, a oppression of the created order of flourishing in the earth. Like, so mm-hmm. you could see that in so many different spaces, and it causes us also to look to the Lord of like. What is his created plan and order for this thing, for the earth, for relationships, for government leaders? Because God is justice. He is just. He is completely just. He is the the perfect display of justice. So we Mm -hmm. look to him and how he creates things and say, that's how it should operate in order for it to exemplify God's justice. Amen. Amen. There, that's that's what I gotta say about that. Yeah. Yeah. Every everyone as as they should be and everything as it should be. Mm-hmm. 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 And so out of that, what do we see are the incommunicable attributes as she is displaying this justice, right? In the midst of her lack of justice. Mm-hmm. How do we see the incommunicable attributes, the things that are only reserved for God alone in his yeah. nature on display right. in this narrative? Right. I mean, God alone displays perfect um his perfect uh holiness, I would say, and his perfect justice. And I know that so yeah, it's it's 
it's tricky because I'm like, we are called, holiness is not an incommunicable attribute because we're called to be holy, right? Mm -hmm. God is displaying his perfect holiness and his perfect justice. Same thing with justice. Those are for us to display as well. So maybe we could say that um, God's omniscience, the fact that he knows all and he knows these, even her wicked husbands, right? Like he knows their hearts to say, Mm-mm. your intentions are unholy and unrighteous put you to death right mm-hmm. there is a sense of god moving on behalf of tamar and prompting even judah's heart towards confession and repentance mm-hmm. um god mm. is the only one who who does that and and so even when we see things like holiness and justice that we're also called to, God is the only one who does it perfectly. Because you got people who will look at this narrative with Tamar and argue about was she in the right or wrong for disguising herself as a prostitute or for, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of manipulating the circumstances in that Mm -hmm. way to get pregnant. What is left to our hands, you know, it's hard to say but what we do know is that she was pursuing justice and God Mm -hmm. is the only one who does it does it so perfectly and flawlessly. So we look to him, but we also are charged to reflect that as well. Yeah. And to, to know that we see that God himself is the only one who is perfect in this narrative and the lack of justice that we see, the lack of holiness that we see being displayed through Judah through his sons, right? And the lack of justice that Tamar does not have, that she has to move towards justice herself, is pointing us towards we have a perfect God who enacts perfect justice and mm-hmm. holiness. And so um, we we can um, rest in that. We can rest in that. And I think that that's where we can find ourselves as we push towards how does Tamar's story uh, what can we embody from Tamar's story today? And I think that there are a few promises here. One, that there are going to be times in God's omniscience, right? Because he knows all things we do not. There will be mm-hmm. times that we will not understand the ways of God, right? Deuteronomy 29, 29 talks about that. Um, mm-hmm. he, his, there are things that are a mystery that are, will, are stored up and that he will know and we will not be able to know until we see him face to face, right? That they are mysteries. And so we will not fully understand the ways of God all the time. And this narrative is messy, it's chaotic. Yeah, and it, like, that's right. It's sort of like, well, everything is not made plain in this narrative. So who's mm-hmm. really at fault? There's not like, like one purely right person or purely wrong. Yeah, it's messy. And I mean, ha- listen, that's a whole tutor in and of itself. There are times in our lives mm-hmm. where there's not just one wrong person. There can be two wrongs. Mm-hmm. You know, my mama was like, two mm-hmm. wrongs don't make a right. You absolutely right. Two <laughs> wrongs don't make a right. And we see that there is wrong uh, done in the perfection of God and his standard of of holiness, right? Yeah. In this narrative. And so we there will be times where we just don't understand it and we don't understand it in this narrative. And though people may discard and forget the vulnerable, the outsider and the widow, God never forgets. That's God hard. never forgets, nor does he 
ever take his eyes off of Tamar and he still sees her, you know? And so we can, mm-hmm. we can um, rest in the promise that God does not forget. God does not see. Um, mm-hmm. God knows all things, even in the midst of us not knowing. And then, and finally that God's justice will be fulfilled in time when the true day of judgment will come. Uh, all justice will be fulfilled and right. we, will, we will see that enacted, you know? Yeah, um, I think that be. that is ultimately the word of of hope and encouragement for um, this profile, this Shiro, the woman who has experienced exploitation and abuse, to say that God absolutely never forgets and he has never taken his eyes off of you. If you are that woman, you yes. can encourage, you can be encouraged. That's and right. if you know that woman, you can bring this encouragement to her that he has never taken his eyes off of her and that his justice, though it may seem delayed, is absolutely going to be fulfilled yeah. um, and it will not fail. Yeah. And Leo, so we have, what- we have the, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say like a a good practice to, I know that we have um, a practice around discernment and knowing the difference between our role and God's role as being the giver of justice, right? Like control Mm -hmm. versus surrender, all these things. You just, I mean, I sense the spirit using you to highlight even a practice for us. If we know a woman who has been exploited or has been abused, the solution and the answer and the resolve is not to um, dismiss it, to um, mm-hmm. to minimize it, but it is to be a listener and to say, mm-hmm. I don't understand the ways of God and why he allowed mm-hmm. this to happen to you. Mm-hmm. But God sees you. He has not forgotten you. And he has the final say in yeah. all lacks of justice against the body and to the body. Yeah, that's right. Mm. And so, knowing that like we ha- we will rest in the tension of some injustices will only be made right by God alone. We can grieve that we may not see resolution here, that that is proper to grieve because mm-hmm. things are not as they should be. Yes. And some some in some circumstances, we have to hold out hope that God uh, will make things right because only he alone will make things right. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the midst of that, we are activated in places where he does call us to push back injustice mm-hmm. as a shadow of what is fully true in him. Amen. We push back injustice in the world where he calls us. Um, just like Tamar is an agent of bringing about justice and pushing back the injustice that was inflicted on her. What courage, what hope she has in that. Mm-hmm. We too can be activated in those places of pushing back injustice, pursuing God's justice as a shadow of the things to come, knowing that he is the only one who will make things fully and perfectly right one day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this woman, Tamar, and her life and how you have given us her story to um, lean and lean into, even in the midst of its brokenness, its chaos, its sin. 
and even the lack of understanding that we do have towards uh, what transpired. And so, Father, we pray for the women um, who have experienced exploitation and abuse, who are the outsider, who are the widow, who are the vulnerable. And Father, we pray that we would be women that set our hearts towards discerning how to pursue your justice and knowing our role as you have made known that you are the one who is the giver of all justice, of all justice. Help us to know the things that we can participate in as active agents of justice and redemption and restoration um, as your uh, as your agents of the kingdom of God and help us to know the moments where we have to cease and surrender and um, trust and grieve, grieve that you, uh, that things are upside down in this world right now and that you alone are going to turn them right side up when you return. And so help us to know when we need to lament and to grieve and to mourn and help us to know when we need to be activated towards pursuing justice for those who are the most vulnerable. And so Father, we pray that you would continue to use the life of Tamar, not just in our life, but in the lives of so many other generations that will come after us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a blessed day, ladies.